You may be seated. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, we regularly work through books of the Bible. We are working our way through the book of Revelation. And uh, if you're new to the Bible or, or unfamiliar with it, uh, we've printed the text for you on page 7 of your worship guide. Also, if you don't have a Bible of your own, um, we would love to get you God's Word into your hands. And so just let one of us know or send us an email or if you're online, a message, um, and we will send you a Bible uh, free of charge. Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bulls, may be seated. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, we regularly work through books of the Bible. We are working our way through the book of Revelation. And uh, if you're new to the Bible or, or unfamiliar with it, uh, we've printed the text for you on page 7 of your worship guide. Also, if you don't have a Bible of your own, um, we would love to get you God's Word into your hands. And So just let one of us know or send us an email or if you're online, a message, um, and we will send you a Bible uh, free of charge. Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders found out, fell down and worshipped. That is a vision. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing on his word preached. Now, this is what we ask from your throne and by your spirit, you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things from your word. We pray this in your name, our Savior. Amen. Well, Revelation is a book of visions. Oftentimes we think of it as a, a visions of what is happening into the future, but what John is doing here in Revelation 4 and 5 is giving us a vision into what is currently going on presently in heaven. And last week, children, we said heaven isn't the place that you go when you die. Heaven is the place where God sits on his throne, reigning. In all of creation, one day will resemble what we see here. God at the center and everything well ordered around him. And it's important that we guard the center. Or perhaps even know how the center is supposed to operate in our lives. Because whatever our center is, we have all built a center of our lives. And whatever that is, you can know what it is when it gets threatened. It creates all kinds of disorder, anxieties and fears, threaten the center, can propel action. We'll go and guard it, or for some of us, 
we'll fall into the fetal position and just suck our thumb. The fear or flight response easily gets triggered when the center gets threatened. These are often subtle things. At work, it can show up when someone new comes in and they start to get the attention that you used to get for your gifts and abilities and you realize I've built my life around being esteemed in my career and they're getting that. The center can't hold it. I'm starting to get jealous or you start to look for little ways to pick out their flaws or critique their initiative often behind their backs. That can happen in, in friend groups too when you realize that I'm no longer the center of my friend group. What's happening in that moment is your center is being revealed. You liked to be the confident one or the one who had power or got all the attention. You know what happens when your center gets threatened because you spring into action to protect it or you just give up and all hope is lost. And you see what's in that moment. What's really going on is you realize what you have enthroned as the governing force in your life. Whatever sits on the throne drives our dreams and ambitions. And when it is threatened, it gets fear. And here's why. It cannot hold the privilege of being the center of your life and sitting on the throne of all of your hopes and dreams. And so it is in your hands to protect it. John is writing to a people to give them a better vision of a different center, one that does not need to be guarded because he sits on the throne and guards his people and his purposes in the world. Remember that John is writing the book of Revelation to a people who do not have much power in the earthly kingdom and as a result are facing constant pressure to threaten constant threatenings to make compromises with the world around them. Most of the pressure from the Roman Empire wasn't to abandon Jesus. They were okay with Jesus just as long as Jesus stayed off to the side. Just as long as the purposes of Caesar and the ways of Rome held the center. And the scene that carries us over from chapter 4 into chapter 5 is of the Father sitting on the throne of heaven. He is the center of all things in Revelation for from him radiate storms and fierce heavenly creatures called the cherubim are all around him. And under his throne is a sea of glass because he's subdued all of the chaos and the evil around him. He is bringing his reign to bear on the world around him without much effort all together. The angels and the elders who sit on their thrones with crowns on their head Sing to him, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That is what is most true of the world presently. God on his throne reigning. And when we shift to Revelation 5, we're still 
in that scene, in that throne room. But the camera is panning just a little bit to the right. And John sees in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne a scroll. And on that scroll are seven seals. And seals in the ancient Near East were a way of making a document official, carrying authority and weight. Oftentimes a king would take his signet ring and press it into the wax on a document, sealing it. It it was a way of saying, this carries my weight, my authority, and then only an official of the king could open the scroll and break its seals. Not anyone who found that could open it. Someone who the king had appointed was the only one that could open the king's officially sealed document. And that's what the John sees and the father's right hand in his hand of power and authority, a scroll that has writing on it, front and back and sealed with seven seals. Now, as is often the case in the book of Revelation, if you want to know what the scroll is, you have to go backwards. You have to read the whole rest of the Bible because usually in God's word, a scroll symbolizes God's plans in history. That's the way it functions in Zechariah, for instance, which is very similar literature to the book of Revelation. It's the way it functions in the book of Daniel. God has written his plans down. This is what I am intending to do. I am moving creation away from the curse of sin into a purified world. God's plans are to bring judgment on evil, and at the end, a new heavens and a new earth. Well, everything will resemble this scene. Everything is right and rightly ordered and at peace. No evil anywhere to be seen. That's going to be the coming chapters. God's seals are broken, and the judgment comes on the earth and culminates with the salvation of the people who follow Jesus. But presently, John sees that scroll, and it's sealed. God's plan needs someone to bring it about. And so the angel proclaims with a loud voice. He's announcing. He's not asking a question amongst friends. He's announcing it for all of creation to hear. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? He is asking perhaps the most important question of any day in any age. Who has the worth to bring about God's plans to put the world to right, to fix what's broken, to bring redemption through judgment, to cleanse what is ruined, and to do away with evil once and for all? That is the all-important question that all of us are asking. It's why we have centers in our lives. Under the surface, that's the question we're asking. Who can fix what's wrong? Isn't this why we fight over politics so much? Because we're convinced that your guy isn't worthy to lead and fix what's broken in our country? Isn't this why couples fight over their children? Who can bring about the flourishing to the troubles that our children are facing? 
It's the question under the surface of almost all things. It's why we put things at the center. Who can fix what is broken and do away with the evil that I am experiencing? And notice God's purpose here through the angel. He creates the tension by revealing the insufficiency of everything else. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. God's creating the tension. You see how insufficient everything is in your life? This is often what God does. He reveals the insufficiency of our little saviors that we've put on our little thrones and asked to function as the centers of our lives that we will guard with everything. He often makes us feel the insufficiency of those so that we might experience the sufficiency of Jesus. And so John begins to weep loudly. It's an ugly scene. This, is, this isn't like um, him sitting over there wiping away a little tear quietly. He's like heaving and hopeless with despair. He begins to weep loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll and look into it. But God won't leave him there in that place for long. He never leaves us in that, that feeling of despair, the insufficiency of all the little things that we put our hope in. But he will leave us there just long enough. But then verse 5, one of the elders says to John, Weep no more. Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There it is, the sufficiency of Jesus. No one else, nothing else, can carry the weight on his shoulders of executing God's plans in this world because no one is worthy, but God will carry that weight through his son. We see these two descriptions, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Again, as John often does, he's leaping, he's heaping together Old Testament phrases. And what's interesting here is that these two titles, these two descriptions of Jesus come from early and late promises of the Old Testament. They're promises of the coming Messiah. The lion of the tribe of Judah is from Genesis 49, the very first book of the Bible. And the root of David is from Isaiah 11, one of the later books of the Bible while Israel is in exile. And each of these instances is a very purposeful direct reference because in each of these instances, what had started out small has grown into something stable and overcome evil as it opens the scrolls. In Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his children. He says that one of his sons, Judah, will be the ruler of God's kingdom. So he calls Judah a lion. But he says of him, you're going to be a fierce king, but at the moment, you're just like a little lion cub. God's purposes and plans have to grow up. He's so small and tender. 
Likewise, in Isaiah chapter 11, God tells his people that from David's line, even though David's line has been chopped down and the king is not on the throne, there's no, there's no king of David on the throne of God's kingdom. Even though that tree has been chopped down, there's this little bitty shoot growing out of the stump. And from that stump is going to grow another tree that's going to bear fruit. You see the imagery. That little lion and that little shoe, so tender and vulnerable, have grown up. God's plan has come to fulfillment, and he's conquered. And there's literally nothing that can stand in the way of Jesus. And nothing can defeat him. But... There is a massive plot twist in verse 6. His conquering is typically about amassing strength. That's why we invest over $700 billion a year in our military, because the strongest army wins. It's why in business you always try to get the advantage so you can move from a position of strength. It's why when you're negotiating. You don't make the first offer because you want to move from a position of strength because the strongest wins. Even in our daily lives, isn't this why we guard our, ourselves? We don't let all the, the information about our lives flow out into the world because we want to control because the strong win. Behold, the lion and the root has conquered and no one can stand against this fierce lion. And this immovable tree will uproot all of the evil in the world. And then, verse 6, the plot twists. Between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders who are beyond them, right next to the throne at the inner place, the right hand, surrounded by the fierce warrior cherubim, and the 24 enthroned elders, a lamb, standing as though it had been slain. It's not a sheep. It's not a full-grown large animal. It's a young, tender, vulnerable lamb, so small and fragile. Children, even if you're four or five years old, it's an animal that you could pick up and carry around. And it's been slain. That is not a cute, adorable picture. It's the language of the sacrificial system of ancient Israel. It would have been slain by cutting its throat until all of its blood poured out, matting its white coat as the life poured out of that lamb, he would have fallen to the ground, gasping for his last breath. And he is the one who can take and open the scroll and open the seals because he gained victory through death. He won, not by taking blood, but by giving blood. The lion didn't roar in intimidating power to take the blood of his enemies. The lamb was won by shedding his own blood so that his enemies could be made his priests and reign with him. It's going to be the primary image for Jesus for the rest of the book. 
dragons are going to rise up and try to defeat the lamb. The disparity is amazing, but the lamb conquers because he was slain. That's what makes him worthy to take up and open the scroll so that they sing a new song in verse 9. And a new song in the Bible is always a victory song. It's shorthand. We're going to sing, God's conquered. And they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and language and people. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth not because of their great might, not because of their great sin, but because no might can open the scrolls, but the might of the one whose blood was shed to cover the sins of God's people. And you see, that takes us to the real problem in all of us and in our world, the real problem that needs to be solved. Because sin's penalty has to be paid and sin's power has to be broken. And that can only be done by the power of the one who is the son of God, who took on our flesh and blood so that his blood could be shed. And it's by the cross that the son of God conquers his and our enemies. That's the deep problem that oppresses us. The problem is in a system of oppression out there that creates a weird jockeying for power for the most oppressed people group. You have to ask the question, how does the system get corrupt in the first place? Because corrupt people are always looking for ways to oppress others. Just watch your children play with each other for five minutes. We'll use anything we can to get to our own advantage. The oppression we need to be freed from is the wrath of God that is coming against that sin and that inclination in our lives and with a power that can break the power of remaining sin in our lives. You see, there's one who's the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He didn't use his advantage to oppress, but used his advantage to take our place and bear the curse for our sins. And the 10,000 upon 10,000s of angels sang, you see the, I mean, this is just this amazing picture of great power. God on his throne, these fierce-looking warrior cherubim. And then beyond then, John opens the scene as 10,000s upon 10,000s of angels. You can't count them all singing. And there's this little lamb with his throat cut and blood everywhere. And he can bear the awesome weight of sin. Notice this, because the slain lamb is standing. Because though slain, death couldn't hold him. 
He rose victorious. Now he's at the right hand, alive forevermore. And he can open the scrolls and bring God's plans to fulfillment. If he can bear the awesome weight of sin and be raised in victory, do you think Satan and his dragon and the kingdoms of this world are any match for him? Or that any change in the culture around us is any threat to his church? We can quit wringing our hands over politics or over changes in our health or whatever you've just read on the internet that's caused you so much unease that you can't sleep at night because the slain lamb is alive forevermore and he is at the right hand next to the throne. This lamb's a little bit peculiar. I don't know if you caught this, but he's got seven horns coming out of his head and seven eyes. If you're an artist, don't try to draw this. What's going on is the horns are a symbol of strength and power. And the seven is the number of completion. He has complete and awesome power because he was slain. He's been given the kingdom of God. He has all power and authority. And he has seven eyes because he sees all things and knows all things. Nothing can be hidden from him. And so those really broken areas of your life, he sees can break and redeem with the power of the cross. You don't have to hide it from him anymore. Or if he, we can argue backward towards as Paul does. How do I know that all things are going to work out for my good if I'm in Christ? He didn't hold back his son. Will he not also graciously give us all things? And if I know, if I trust my hands to this Jesus, the first thing he did wasn't to come and make me serve him. The first thing that he did was serve me by laying down his life. And then he calls me to serve him. That's gospel logic that flips everything on its head. That's a vision that can hold. No other scheme can do that. No Strength of your own. Because if he's the center, he is there as the standing lamb who is slain. Verse 13. This center doesn't need to be guarded. Because it's already won. He has already won. And he stands and nothing can defeat him anymore. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Lord, if you would help us to see this with eyes of faith as we walk out the door today and get confronted 
by the world, our own flesh, and the devil who's seeking to devour us, then we would say with confidence, if the lamb is for us, who can be against us? Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to receive power and might and wisdom and strength now and forevermore. Amen.